Awesome. Well, if you have your Bibles today, go ahead and uh, turn to Acts chapter 2. The title of my study for today is The Day of Pentecost. And we've been starting just last week the, the book of Acts. And it's a great book to see where Christianity started from. How it started off with just Jesus and his 12 disciples. Paul ends up replacing Judas, we know that. But these 11 men, they changed the world. They were men just like ordinary day-to-day men, just like you and me, with their mess-ups, their, their zeal for their nation, their sometimes uh, emotional outbursts like Peter would always often put his foot in his mouth, figuratively speaking. But we see that God used them greatly. But before God empowered them and used them tremendously, God did a work in them by the Holy Spirit. He anointed them, he empowered them. So we're gonna look at that today. When we left off last week, you guys remember how Jesus had told them, look, don't leave Jerusalem yet. I want you to wait in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes upon you and baptizes you with fire. So they had to wait upon the Lord now and they're like, man, they probably didn't even know what to expect. They're like, what, what is that gonna look like? The Holy Spirit. Keep in mind at this time, this was so new. They, they hadn't heard of the Holy Spirit. We probably grew up hearing about the Holy Spirit. I remember as a child seeing my grandparents praying in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they did the sign of the cross. And I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, somebody. But these men, and now they're, middle age are experiencing this new term, the Holy Spirit. And it had to be exciting because Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to them. He said, look, I'm gonna go, but it's better that I go and leave you because I'm not gonna leave you without sending the Holy Spirit to guide you. So we come now to Acts chapter two, verse one. And it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. See, this day of Pentecost, this is a celebration. It's this big festival that the Jews would have. And divinely enough, last Sunday was actually the day of Pentecost for the Jews. They were celebrating it this past Sunday and when we began Acts chapter one. And act, the, the Pentecost, is, it's one of three major Jewish feasts that they have. See, there's these great feasts that the Jews have that they will actually leave wherever they're at and head over to Jerusalem to celebrate. And those three feasts are Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. So the, the Feast of Passover, you guys remember Moses and how he was asking Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, 
So then the 10 plagues came upon Egypt to bring fear into Pharaoh's heart, to break his heart, but Pharaoh kept hardening his heart until finally the last plague, God sent the angel of death to go to Egypt to, to kill all the firstborn. And he, God told Moses, look, you're gonna take a lamb, you're gonna slay that lamb. And with its blood, you're gonna put it on the doorpost of your house, on the front and on the sides. It's the shape of the cross. And then the angel of death, when it comes to that household, it will pass over that house and you will be saved. And all those who did not believe and who did not put that blood on that doorpost, their firstborn was taken. That was the original Passover and they got together and they had this, this meal, this Passover meal. So that's the celebration of it. Now the second major feast is Pentecost, which we're reading about today. And that it was always referring to this first uh, gathering of all the fruits and grains that God had blessed them with throughout the year. And they would take that and they would offer some of it, a portion of it to the Lord and thank God for what he had blessed them with. So now keep in mind, there's the Old Testament literal feast of what happened and then there's the New Testament fulfilling of it. So the Passover original feast with Moses was fulfilled by Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Now Pentecost, that ingathering of all the fruits that they thank God for, the New Testament fulfilling of it is right here where the, the church, the very first Christian believers are gathered together so that the Holy Spirit can come upon them. It's, it's awesome to see how God is always working. You know, there's another feast though that we don't see in the New Testament fulfilled yet. And that's the Feast of Trumpets. And Bible scholars and Christians believe that the Feast of Trumpets will be fulfilled when that trumpet is sound and Jesus Christ returns to come as king over this world. In verse two, it says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. Whoa, okay, so they're sitting just like you guys are now in the house, okay? And notice that there's this spiritual and physical phenomenon that happened. And what were they doing? It says that they were sitting. I have that highlighted because I, I, I note in my Bible the, the position of what they were in physically, it, it didn't formulate how the Holy Spirit was gonna work. Sitting or standing, God can move however he wants. I think sometimes we get into this uh, mentality that you have to stand a certain way or pray a certain way and do all these things as a method in order for God to work. You think, oh, like, I remember that one time that we prayed 
over our friend and he was healed and we're like, okay, well, we're, we're going to do that again. And how, how, what was the exact words that I said and prayed so that this guy can get healed? And that's not how God works. It's by the spirit, how he leads. So the men are there, the disciples, and they're seeing now this wind, just hearing it come upon them. And they're like, whoa, this is causing something great right now. And then in verse three, something that is kind of hard to explain, but it says that the, the divided tongues as a fire being like fire resting upon each of them. John the Baptist kind of refers to this in Matthew chapter three, verse 11. You don't need, you don't need to turn there. But John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we see this fire. It's the fire of God that is now upon these men. And it's kind of interesting. It's like, whoa, like what would that have been like to see these little flames or something above each and every one of us? I'm sure a lot of us would have been scared and they're like, nope, that's it, I'm out. <laughs> but they were filled with the Spirit, so God was keeping them there. And then in verse four it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. That was where I got the title for my last week's study, The Wonderful Works of God. So now they're speaking in these tongues and people are realizing, wait a second, this guy who would normally speak in uh, Arabic language and maybe Armenian language or this different languages, I could understand what he's saying. Like, how is that possible? How is everyone able to understand? But who gave them utterance, it said? The Spirit. And verse four, it says, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Because we ourselves, we can't just start, learn a language on our own accord. Otherwise, we're just gonna make up gibberish. The Spirit has to give the utterance. And this sound of this great rushing wind now filling the house and these men speaking weird, crazy languages. Now this is gathering other people, attracting people like, whoa, what's going on over here? So uh, being that they're speaking in tongues, 
I find it important to dive into what is the spiritual gift of tongues. Tongues is a language. It's a dialect from heaven. The biblical definition is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 2 and 4. It says this, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So something to note, when I say prophesy, there's a gift of prophecy, and that is whenever there's a pastor who is forth-telling the word of God, that's the gift of prophecy being used. It's not so much foretelling, although it can be, but the way we see the gift mostly exercised in ministry on a day-to-day basis is the teaching of the word of God. That's when the Holy Spirit is speaking through the pastor. That is prophecy. Now, the speaking of tongues, that's the mysterious language he's talking about here, the heavenly language. Now, there's the gift of tongues biblically actually divides into two types. One being that of the gift of tongues, like speaking out this unknown language, and the other one being the gift of the interpretation of tongues. See, now when they would normally not be able to understand each other, now they are. As an anecdote, I know personally a missionary who got to go to Africa to do ministry work out there, to save souls. And he was out there visiting this village in Africa, and he came across this man who was lost. He was not saved. And this man didn't speak English, and the missionary didn't speak the dialect that he had either. So with no way of communicating in each other's dialect, the missionary began to express his testimony the best way he could through means of acting and of nonverbal communication. He expressed how when he was a child, how he walked in his own way, and then he became a man and, and was bitter and needed to be saved. And I'm, I'm sure he went into great length and detail to try to get this message across without being able to say the same language as this native. And eventually, the man he was witnessing to in, in, in testimony, he fell to his knees and began to weep. And the missionary, realizing that the man was understanding the story he was explaining, fell down on his knees with him and began to pray and to beg God. God, despite the fact that this man can't understand anything I'm saying, please hear me, hear him. Somehow work through this, accept this man. He is willing to put his life down and to put you first in his life. Please accept him in your kingdom. And he prayed this long prayer with him. And then he left that moment and he didn't know exactly what, what he had experienced or what happened. 
And it wasn't until much later, after he had uh, came home, that there was a representative from that tribe who actually came back to visit the missionaries who had gone out to Africa. And he began to express how thankful he was that they were there and that they went. And he began to mention that particular missionary and said, you know what, I loved how this man went out and told his testimony to one of our tribesmen. And we were surprised to find out that our tribesmen ended up telling us that he got down on his knees and began speaking our own language and praying for him. And all of a sudden the missionary realized like, what? Like, what do you mean speaking our own language? He realized that God had allowed in that moment for that native to understand what the missionary was saying. And that is a a form of the gift of tongues when you have that understanding. We see this gift, it's awesome when God uses it to perform miracles to get a word across. We see this gift also in in the Bible. We're, We're actually gonna look at a few times where this gift is used in the Bible because we want to get a biblical perspective on it. Peter, one of the disciples, is sent to the house of Cornelius. He's a centurion. And in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48, it says this, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So in Acts 10, what we just read right now, the Jews and Peter himself, they were shocked that these Gentiles, these people who were not Jewish, were filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice that Peter preached to them and then they were baptized by the Holy Spirit And then later on, they had a water baptism. So there's different steps in in that whole process. The baptism of water, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and salvation are all different points in a believer's life. It could also, too, all take place at one time. In Acts chapter 19, why don't we turn to Acts chapter 19? In Acts chapter 19, there in the church of Ephesus, Paul has a similar experience. Beginning with verse one, it says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? 
So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So we see there is the two baptisms, the water baptism, which John preached of. But now these believers of God in their ignorance, not knowing yet of the Holy Spirit, are visited by Paul and he begins to explain the wonderful works of Holy, the Holy Spirit to them. And they receive it openly. And they say, yeah, I want to get baptized by the Holy Spirit. So he lays hands on them, prays over them. And they do two things. Number one, they begin to speak in tongues. And then number two, they begin to prophesy. Now, what did they say? I, I don't know, but I'm sure they were glorifying the Lord in it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, Paul wants to outline and explain the use of the gift of tongues to the Corinthian church. See, the Corinthian church in their time, they lived in a city that was like Las Vegas for their time. And the Corinthian church was a young church, but they were full of so many spiritual giftings. One of the major lessons that we read from the book of Corinthians, first and second, is that spiritual gifting does not equate to spiritual maturity. You see, you could have these spiritual gifts, but still use them in an immature way. So because of this, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church to correct them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, it says this, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So there we just went through a list of spiritual gifts that we could actually pray for God to bless us with. He talked about the word of knowledge. That's when the Holy Spirit gives you knowledge that you would not have known about a particular issue without him. And sometimes it happens in this amazing phenomena to do that. 
He talks about gifts of healings by the same spirit where the Holy Spirit actually does heal people. One of the things I kind of um, am curious about, if somebody proclaims to have the gift of healing and they openly are saying, you know, the Lord heal you, like why, are, why aren't they going to the hospitals where, where people are, are sick? You see, I, I, what I believe is that a lot of times those who have that gift of, of healings, it's to them they're very humble people. Um, and they're quiet about the work of the, they don't try to boast in themselves in this gift that, they, that God blesses them with. So we don't know. It's not something that we often see. I, I'm very skeptical sometimes of people who claim on TV to have this gift of healing and they're healing all kinds of people. I, I'm very skeptical because the Holy Spirit doesn't put people on display. God's supposed to get the glory. And not to say that people can't get healed. He talks about working of miracles and prophecy. We went over that. Discerning of spirits, that's where the Holy Spirit gives you discerning of people. Maybe some of you kind of had this growing up too, or you just had this uh, sense about people as you were growing up. And you've noticed it in your life. And then as a believer too, you still have that. And God can refine it and sharpen it so that you realize how people are spiritually so you can determine how to help them or possibly how to stay away from them. And then he talks about the different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. But the Holy Spirit works all these things. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're gonna go through Paul's outline of the use of the gift of tongues. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to start with verse 6. As Paul urges the, the Corinthian church that tongues must be interpreted, beginning with verse 6, it says, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues... What shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will he be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, 
Let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So let's stop here for a moment. Paul is basically saying, look, when people hear others speaking in tongues, if they don't have that gift of interpretation, to them it's a mystery. It's meaningless almost. It's like, I, I don't know what they're saying. I know that they're, they're praying to the Lord, but I don't know what they're praying. So the body, the church, and ministry, it's not being edified if someone is speaking in tongues and no one can understand them. So Paul is saying, look, the gift of tongues is great, but there should be someone to interpret. So look at verse 23 now. Skip down to verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he is convicted by all. See, the, the word prophesy, again, that's the fourth telling. That's something that an unbeliever can understand is the word of God. When the pastor is teaching, an unbeliever will understand his words and have the opportunity to change. In verse 25 there, it says, And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Now he's going to go over how this gift of tongues should be ex exercised in church meetings because it can be exercised in church meetings. In verse 26, it says this, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation? Let all things be done for edification. In 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. 
Now those prophets, what he's referring to there is now the teaching of the word, that foretelling of the Lord's word. In verse 29, that's where he's referring to. And in verse 30, but if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent, for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So you see, that's why with Redeemed Church Fellowship, while I'm teaching the word, Ali's not going to stand up and start speaking in tongues. <laughs> we have to have things in order. Because otherwise, that'd be very distracting from the study where it's like, what? They're like, what are you saying to the Lord right now? There has to be an order. God is not a God of confusion. Now, I personally have prayed for this gift. I've sought the Lord and said, God, just, you know, I, I want to be able to have this worship, like this personal prayer life with you. And I've, I've not experienced that. So it's not a determination then of how much the Holy Spirit is in me. Don't equate that to, well, if you can't speak in tongues, that means you're not saved or God's not using you. It's just one gift out of the many. Now notice that this gift of tongues, biblically, it's, it's not used to talk to men, but to God. It's a prayer towards the Lord. And biblically, it was always prayers that are praising the Lord. That's biblically. Now, I'm not going to tell you, and I'm not going to put God in the box and say that he cannot use the gift of tongues for prophecy. Because God, the Holy Spirit, can do what he wants. But I am going to tell you what we find in the Bible. I'm going to tell you what Paul guided us in and how he said that we should use this gift. And that's why we have different types of churches. You see, there's on the, let's say the one, one side, you have the Pentecostal church who's very open with their, their worship and their gift of tongues in the middle of service or in the middle of a worship service, I'll say. And that doesn't mean that they're not saved. There are believers in the Lord. And I love that God has set in the hearts of man these different types of churches. So if somebody has to relate to God in this emotional way, there are places that they can go and really express that. And it's a beautiful thing. And for those who express themselves to the Lord in a very serious way, in a very way that they see any type of moving around of the arms or of worship with guitars and drums as, hey, you're too loud. You, you got to keep the focus on the Lord. Let's say you go to someone of like the, the Lutheran type churches who are very devout and very um, kind of quiet in their worship. That doesn't mean that, again, that they're not loving the Lord and God's not using them. So let's not divide the body of Christ when we come across other believers with different backgrounds. You see, we all have the same base of salvation. 
And that's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, if you would go back to Acts chapter two, I will digress on my subject of the gift of tongues. It says in verse 12, after the Holy Spirit came upon these men, all speaking different languages now, but understanding the different tongues, it says in verse 12, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they're full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Saying, look, it's only 9 a.m. These guys aren't drunk. They're Jewish religious men. And yes, you hear them babbling in this language maybe that you can't understand. He says this in verse 16, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I love that. Paul right here, he is backing up this spiritual event, this spiritual action that just took place. He then begins to back it up with scripture. And that's what we need to be able to do when we are seeing these phenomena or uh, these things take place in ministry or in our lives, is we have to be able to back up the actions with scripture, to be able to point back to that. And I love how he uses the Old Testament, the prophet Joel, to say, look, this is what Joel prophesied about. My dad right now, he's dreaming dreams. And I pray that I continue to see visions. Is that a backhanded compliment? I'm sorry. <laughs> but God, his Holy Spirit, is doing a work right now. Are we living in these times that Peter's referring to? I believe so. Where the Holy Spirit is gonna be poured out greatly upon the church? Have you guys ever heard of the Jesus people movement that took place in the 60s and 70s? So in the 60s and 70s, right? This was on Time Magazine. Google it there was this massive movement called the Jesus People Movement. Uh, how did we get to that movement? How did that happen where all these people were getting saved and coming to know Jesus? Well, you we look at what was happening in America back in the 70s. You look at the, the war with Vietnam, a, a political division, a social division in America where people were upset with the politics, they were upset with what was happening outside of their nation. 
So you had this counterculture movement that began to take place, known as the hippies. I don't think my father was a hippie. Probably not. No, he was, we'll not talk about that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you had the hippies start to come up. And this counterculture movement to what was happening in America was known as the hippie movement. And all of these people were seeking out what was truth, what was fulfillment for them. They were seeking out love and peace. And they were trying to get away from what they thought was evil, what they knew to be evil. And then out of that movement of the hippies, once they were at Woodstock and coming down from their come downs of all the, the drugs that they were taking and all the sex, and they realized that it was all empty. Those people, when they were broken, they started to realize, you know what? This pastor's telling me about Jesus. I'm gonna give him a try. And then all of a sudden, one hippie got saved, and then two, and then three, and then multiply, and multiply, and multiply. And all these hippies began to get saved. And it was so intense of all these people turning to Jesus that you would see it on all the streets and everywhere at the beaches that they would go. That Time Magazine did an article on it. And then right mixed with that, you have the Calvary Chapel Church that was birthed there in Costa Mesa, Santa Ana, California. And the Calvary Chapel began to blow up. You have Chuck Smith, who then began to minister to the hippies, and all these people were getting saved. And the Holy Spirit did a great move. Calvary Chapel, which started as one church in Santa Ana in the late 70s and 80s, now there's thousands of churches of Calvary Chapels all across the United States of America and other churches that have come from Calvary Chapel churches. And I am looking at all of that of what took place back in the 60s and 70s. And I'm like, are we not like about to go through this same cycle? Now that I speak as a man right now, I'm not prophesying of what God is gonna do. But are we not in the midst of this political division of wars and great divide, social injustices, and isn't there like this huge counterculture of uh, the youth who loves the music scene and how big that music and entertainment has grown with the, the raves and Coachella and all these different things, these events that are just huge nowadays? So if we are experiencing slightly something that was similar to that, where now people are beginning to realize that sex, love, and rock and roll, is, it's empty, that they need Jesus, I want to be part of that movement that is able to be a light and to a guide other people who are finding out that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And to me, this is exciting. To me, yes, that's, that is exactly what Joel was talking about of the Holy Spirit being poured out. And we can be a part of that. We could ask the Holy Spirit to gift us with those gifts so that he can call us Look at verse 19. It says, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood 
before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So now he's referring to the return of when Christ comes back to this world. And then in verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's whoever, any race, any color, any type of sinner, do you wanna be saved? Then simply call upon the name of the Lord. If you mean it in your heart and in your mind, you will be saved. You see, Jesus, when he was crucified on the cross, he first came as a sacrifice for the entire humanity. As a a peaceful, loving Jesus, strong and bold, but to be that sacrifice. But when he comes back, when he returns to the earth, it's not gonna be in peace, but it's gonna be in war where he's gonna rid this world of the injustices and the evil. And we look forward to that. In verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. See now, Paul's rebuking them, saying, look, God had a plan for Jesus that we would be saved. But you Jewish men he's talking to, you took him unlawfully and crucified him. And then in verse 24, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is at my right hand that he may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Hades nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life and you will make me full of joy in your presence. Peter right here, he's quoting David. And David right here, what he's writing down, what he's penning is that eternal perspective. See, David knew that this life, it was only for a moment. And he was hoping and looking forward to what God had to him after this life. See, a lot of times we get mixed up in thinking that this is the only experience we're gonna have. We forget that there is a whole new life after this life. It's like we have this little itty bitty living space and everything that we do in that tiny amount of time, it echoes into eternity. So we should, in this season that we're in, seek to do those things which have eternal reward. I'll end with this. We have one life and it's soon gonna be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Amen.
Let's, uh, let's all stand in prayer. This week, uh, continue to pray for one another. Continue to ask that the Holy Spirit would just fill you, anoint you, and that you'd be loving to people because right now, this is when the world needs it right now, more than ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, Lord God. This afternoon, I pray that you would just go before us, Father. Continue to, to bless us, Lord God, to gift us. Lord God, give us, Father, gifts of knowledge, gifts of wisdom, discernment, the gift of tongues, Father. Father, of healing, of teaching, of prophesying, of leadership, Father, of love. Lord God, I'm reminded, Father, that Paul wrote to the Corinthians that though he have all these amazing gifts, that it means nothing if he lacks love. So would you fill us with that love, Father, that we can go forward, Lord God, in your perfect will to do what you have for us. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Your love is stronger. Your love.